0: You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission.
1: Luke chapter 18, Jesus Christ tells us a very familiar parable. All right, it it starts out with two men go up to a temple to pray. And at the beginning there, it kind of sounds a little bit like this corny Jewish joke, right? Like two men go up to the temple to pray. But in Luke 18, verse 11, Jesus goes on to say that a Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast." twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. So you have that prayer for the first man that goes up to the temple to pray. And then you have another prayer, verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can't get any different than the posture and the tone of those two prayers. One is filled with pride and self-promotion because you're looking at other people and exalting yourself. The other is drawing close to God. There's a nearness, there's there's a search for God in his presence. Well, in this passage of scripture, Luke 18, before Jesus even told that parable, he told us why he told it. In verse 9, it says that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated people with contempt. People are like that. It's a problem. We're in a series in the church, and we're calling this series Church on Fire. And this morning, we are going to finish the passage of Scripture we started with last week, Romans chapter 12, But what Jesus was teaching in Luke 18 is directly related to where we're going this morning. And as bad as the Pharisees sound in that that parable, because, I mean, no one likes the cocky, righteous, pious person who's looking at others in a cocky way, making himself feel better by comparing himself to others. As awful as that comes across, when you stop and think about it, in our own hearts, we can do the very same thing. We can easily fall into the same trap. So why do Christians often, far too often than we care to admit, play the good guy card and look down on others? If we're going to do a series in the church, we have to address, address that elephant that is in the proverbial room. I know none of us want to be like this, but why are we often like this? More often than we care to admit, the people who are supposed to be known for their love for one another are instead known for their shove of of each other, right? I don't want you to trip into the Pharisees' place here this morning and just start instinctively thinking about others. Well, oh yeah, they don't do that, and oh yeah, that person doesn't love and outdo one another in showing honor. And can you believe what they did over here? They don't love like me, who I, I genuinely love. You have to back up, take a step back. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who does that sound more like? Is that more like the Pharisee's tone? Or is that more like the person in humility who is seeking the mercy of God? Is that is that, that tone? We're going to read Romans 12, 9 through 13, and... As we read this, the question is not, are other Christians living this out? How can the church do better at this collectively? That's not where I want you to go with this today. The question is, am I living this out? Let's not think about anyone else today. Let's not think about the other person who isn't showing love to me, the person that gave me the cold shoulder. Let's think about, what am I doing? If we're honest, it's very easy to get in our own head, to place me and my things at the top, and and more often than we want, we, we stumble into this, and then we get harsh, we get judgmental towards the outside world. We even get flippant and cold and expectant towards people within the church. So today, as we get into the text, force yourself not to think about anyone, but you and your relationship with God. This isn't a lecture on the church collective. This is a challenge for you, the individual. So let's take a look at, uh, excuse me, Romans, yes, Romans chapter 12. Let's begin reading in verse nine. "Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the first way this morning that we bless others with the love of Christ, number one, is keep an eternal perspective in the midst of earthly chaos. Keep an eternal perspective in the midst of an earthly chaos that we're surrounded by. That really sums up what's going on in verses 14 and 15. Paul here is clearly echoing the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6, where Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. That's an awful lot, is it not? not. It's a pretty tall task. But Jesus goes on there, and he he keeps going on, and he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Right? Everybody does that. It's, It's not hard to love somebody that loves you. What Jesus is saying here is, is, is very, very difficult. It's to love someone who hates you. And when Paul says in verse 14, says the same thing, bless those who curse you, and then notice he repeats it. Do you see that in verse 14? Bless and do not curse them. You can almost feel this resolute assurance. Paul knows he's saying something that's not very easy to pull off. You can, like, hear it in his voice. You know how, you know how like, some, and he's just repeating it. You know, sometimes you're saying something that's almost impossible to believe, and you just repeat it, like, can you believe that you watched that game? He scored 49 points. He had a triple-double. He carried his team to victory. He scored 49 points. You're repeating it because it's almost too hard to grasp. That's what Paul is saying here. This is, like, kind of undoable on our own, to love our enemies. When someone personally attacks you and is seething with hatred, your initial reaction is gonna be defensiveness. You with me on that? Think about it, right? It, it, you're naturally gonna to wanna to be defensive and like hold your ground. And like, and like, okay, I'm ready to fight this back. You're wrong. But we cannot let, according, according to this passage, we cannot let our Defensiveness turn into cursing. That's not our role. So, so let me just use an example from real life, and then we'll we'll translate that into a spiritual reality. There was a time back when I was in high school, and I when I was in high school I played a ton of basketball. Okay, so we were at the local YMCA and um, playing some basketball. There was a couple. I was a senior at the time, and there was a few guys that went to the same Christian high school as me, like a freshman, sophomore, I don't remember for sure. But they were there. They were in the JV team. I didn't play with them a lot. But they were there, so we we're shooting around. And a couple other people walk in the gym, three, three other guys, actually. These are full-grown men, okay? So if you can picture this, we're at the local YMCA. you got these three lily-white like Christian high school boys and then you got these very muscular guys with lots of facial hair. Baby faces versus big muscular dudes, right? We were a little cocky and we decided to challenge them to a game of three on three, because that's what you do when you're that age. You wanna get better, you're gonna, you, gotta, you gotta face the biggest and toughest guys. So we're playing this other group of t- team of basketball players and we're playing lights out. We're playing out of our minds, like best we could possibly ever play. I, I was shocked that these other guys were making the shots they were making. I was having one of my best days ever, and we're beating this, this team, okay, these other guys. These other guys are getting frustrated because they don't want to lose to the little short kids. And they're getting very frustrated. The game's not going well. It's getting more and more intense. This guy goes up for a shot. We're like, we're, we're ready to win this game, right? He goes up for a shot. I go up to block him. He pump fakes, ducks his head. If I come down for this block, I just smack him across the face. Terrible, it would have been like a flagrant flagrant foul, okay? This guy snaps, grabs me by the throat, and shoves me up against the wall. I'm looking in his eyes, pure anger. I'm like, is this guy going to break my neck right now? And no one did anything. No one said a word, and then he just stopped, and he let go. And we carried on with the basketball game. We finished the basketball game from there. Yeah, we did. Uh, No more smack talking, but we won the game, and then we got out of the gym as fast as we could. That's how that went. Um, And I say all that, okay? That's an example in real life of enemies, hatred, you don't know what to do, defensiveness, okay, it's going to kick in. Let's translate that now to spiritual reality, okay? Because the Bible is telling us that we are not to be defensive, we are not to react, we are not to fight back. We are to actually bless those who curse you. We didn't bless. I didn't bless that guy that day. <laughs> okay, that didn't happen. Um, so that's where the illustration is totally breaking down. But like putting this into a spiritual realm, we have people who hate us. I mean, you have probably. I, I was thinking of examples today. I don't, I'm not. I'm not going to go into it all. I mean, I've. I've. I've walked down the street before, and I have. I have witnessed a man yelling at Christians, profanity, just a bitter, angry soul. Like That's out there in this world, right? And we face that. It's not easy to turn the other cheek, as Jesus said. The only way we could ever possibly bless those who curse us, as radical as this sounds, the only way you can do this is through the filling of the Holy Spirit. The only way you're going to be filled with the Spirit and be able to think properly here is by receiving the mercy of God and realizing that above all the noise and the chaos and the sludge in this present life, God has called us to lift our heads above that and to shine his light and to love our enemies. And church history is filled with example after example after example of martyrs of men and women who were persecuted for their faith and who loved the people who were ready to come down with an ax on them. And it radically shined with a megaphone, shined bright the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a way that God, when, God, when this happens through the church, God uses this to start melting the absolute coldest, hardest hearts. But again, the only way you're going to be able to hold back from raising your fist and going blow for blow is if you raise your head up to God and receive what he is pouring out on you, his mercy and his grace, which is what we started with in Romans 12. Now, I want to explain something here as a side note. Um, Before we move on, this can easily get confusing when you look at other portions of Scripture, right? Like, what about the Old Testament? What about the Psalms? You have those, like, cursing Psalms, the imprecatory Psalms, where where, where David is calling down judgment. How, how does that relate with this? So if, if we can just take a little brief rabbit trail here, I want you to see that this is not right here in this text in Romans 12. This is not an argument for passivism. Some people take this kind of teaching... And they apply it to the sense that we must never go to war or we we can't even defend ourselves from others who are attacking us nationally or individually. This has also been used. Sometimes people go so far with this, they excuse criminal behavior. Not, Not good. This is not speaking about national policy or civil or criminal law. It's not the context here, right? This is speaking about personal relationships in our everyday life. So just like, let's zoom back in on that. We're talking about our interactions with one another. And if you can make that distinction, it it helps us understand some of these psalms, which call down curses on enemies. Those imprecatory psalms, and there are a number of them, can be perplexing. But when David writes those things, it's not the same world and position that we're talking about the church here in Romans 12. We're called to love our enemies, right? And in those Psalms, when we're calling out cursing on enemies, it's not our own personal enemies. The distinction is he's talking about the enemies of God, the people that 110% are against God, radically and violently opposed to God and his people, and they want to destroy everything that God stands stands for. Psalm one thirty nine. Let's just read one of those, um, and you can see an example of this. Speaking of the enemies of God, not the enemies of ourselves. Oh that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak evil against you with malicious intent. Your enemies, notice your enemies. That's God's enemies. Take up, take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Yeah, that's in the Bible, in case you didn't know. But the the next verse after that, Psalm 139, it's, Search me, O God, and know my heart try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Some of you probably remember that old Keith Green song, oh, cleanse, cleanse My Heart. You know, maybe you didn't realize this is the context of that, of that passage of Scripture. But if you actually put two and two together here, the Bible is saying there's this distinction to be made between God's enemies and my enemies. And as far as my enemies are concerned, I love them. As far as God's enemies are concerned, as a king, King David is saying, I'm a re- representative of God, I must be opposed to them. And I am speaking of people who are radically against God, and I hate them with a perfect hatred. This is, this is, this is possible. It's a holy hatred. That's what the word complete means. So the psalmist is also in the same next breath very conscious of the difficult distinction that this is to make how easily we can persuade ourselves am i am i really hating that enemy because it's god's enemy and am and i'm actually a representative of god here or or is this personal do you see the distinction it's unholy hatred if it's personal But if it's something where we're taking a stand for God as a leader who's in an authority position, we have have something totally different there. We have a totally different context. And this is why David in the Psalms immediately goes to, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. It's a very thin line there. He's so aware of how hard it is to identify God's enemies and distinguish them from his own enemies. So we're not talking about national defense. We're talking right here in Romans 12 about the personal, everyday relationships with those who are opposed to us and hate us. The Old Testament would agree with what the New Testament is saying here, that we are to love our enemies. And in this, in this very passage in Romans 12, Paul goes on to quote an Old Testament Proverbs 29, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. So the Bible is consistent. And we saw this same thing earlier in the text in Romans 12. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Also later on in the same passage, in verse 19, we're going to see, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then Paul quotes that proverb. So we'll touch more on that uh, before we're done today. But let's go back to verse 15 here. Back to verse 15 in Romans 12. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. We're done with our our little uh, imprecatory Psalms side point. Back to Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now that's pretty straightforward, right? We just talked about something that was very difficult and confusing to navigate. Now we're moving into something that's just absolutely straightforward. I don't think I need to clarify much about this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And never be wise in your own sight. So there's a time to rejoice, and there's a time to cry. When I was married, first married with Julie, almost 10 years ago now, I tell you what, I was not very good at this whole time to cry and time to rejoice thing. I, I wanted all time to rejoice. I wanted to be happy all the time. I wanted everything to go smooth, and I, I had a really hard time understanding there's actually a time to cry. It was unfortunate for Julie that I, I didn't really know how to do this very well. I wanted all rejoicing, no crying. But there's really two types of people in the room. Some of you are like me, and you wanna just push all the negative thoughts away as quickly as possible, put that positive spin on it, and focus on the positives. Let's just go out there and solve problems and don't think about the bad stuff, right? You with me? Some people are like that. Some of you are married to a person like that. And some of you are the other type of person in this room, like my wife, Julie. And you're just wired differently. You can't just turn off negative thoughts like it's a switch. They linger. And it's not that you're a positive person. You're just not as quick to be optimistic. And it's harder for you to get your thoughts aligned. You know what I mean? There's two types of people there. So for me, I have to wrap my mind. I have to grow into this whole idea of there's a time to weep. There's a time not to say anything and to fix it. But there's to the cry, and, and talk about it, and listen instead of talk. And then for the rest of you who you know aren't Mr. Sunshine or not always gla- glass is always three fourths full. Like you need to also know that I need to actually at times align my thoughts with the truth. At, at all times I have to do that, but but I have to get there, right? Emotions are good. Emotions are God given. Emotions are revealing a lot. But it's an indicator that points to something. So again, the context here is, we're talking about the marks of genuine love. This is who you are as a member of the church. And in the midst of the chaos down here in this present life, we have to keep our perspective grounded on the truth. We're called to love. We're getting this idea all the way back to the beginning of this chapter, and if you If you weren't here with us last week, I think it would be good to review. Never wrong to review Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first way here that we foundationally bless others with the love of Christ as we keep an eternal perspective in the midst of earthly chaos secondly remember that Christ came for you when you were spiritually lowly remember that Christ came for you when you were spiritually lowly these are the next few verses and this is happens this happens when you receive the mercy of god You can never forget that you were lost. You were far, far apart from God. You were going a different direction, and God raised you up. He sent his son, Jesus. He responded with mercy, and he gave grace. To live in harmony with one another, you have to be looking out for one another. You can't just be having every conversation. You can't just be, like, focused on yourself, having every conversation revolve around you and what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're desiring. I think, I think we've all seen this happen. You know, you go all in. You've, you're investing. You're giving your time and energy in a relationship. You've even opened up yourself, and you have this close friend. You're transparent. But after a while one of the friends stops thinking about their friend and they focus on their thing. And the relationship turns into a one-sided relationship. It's really, really hard to go through something like that. That's a difficult thing. To still love someone anyway when you've been hurt because you've poured out and they've taken it for granted. They've brushed it off. The only way you can still love someone like this is when you actually are motivated by the love that Christ has for you. Because the truth is, we do the same thing to Christ. We get cold. We focus on our own thing, we focus on ourselves. And we go through seasons where we overlook the love of God. But God loves us anyway. And he's called us to do the same thing for the, for the members in our church. we are. It's, it's a tall order, once again. Only is going to happen when you see the love of Christ, you see the mercy of God. Jesus loved you even when you were unlovely. Even when you weren't looking for it, God came after you. Can I get an amen for that? Praise him for that. We're also told not to grow weary in well doing. And yes, this is not easy. Yes, it's hurtful when someone fades away or gives you the cold shoulder. But you can do these, you can do this, these acts of love. Verse 12, you can rejoice in hope when you look to Christ. Our hope is Jesus Christ. And this relationship may not be what you thought it would be, but you can be patient in tribulation, you can be constant in prayer. You can pray that God will open up an avenue where you can have a restorative conversation. The way you think, remember, it affects your actions, right? So to love your enemies, to reach out to people, even in the church or or, or family member who has hurt you, it's going to require you focusing and meditating on the truth that God is your heavenly Father. He loves you, He sent His Son Jesus and Jesus is your hope, that relationship is all you really need. You don't have to really have anyone else in your life. God's going to put other people in your life. But you don't have to have anyone else if you have Jesus Christ. And this will change the way we interact with people. All the way down to the people who are not like us. All the way down to our interactions with the lowly. And if you don't have anyone in your life that you're trying to lift up and encourage, according to this passage, you should probably change that, right? There should be people in your life that don't look like you or talk like you or sound or smell like you that are in a difficult position. Maybe they have made wrong decisions, they haven't made as many wise decisions, maybe they don't have as much knowledge, they're in a lower position. We are called as the body of Christ to reach out and extend love and mercy to that person and to lift them up. It's who you, are, who you should be as a part of the church. Again, going back to high school, I mean, I can't help it on this one because like, you can't get a, more, a better illustration than cliques in high school, right? You had the attractive girl clique where their daddy buys them everything they want. You have the jock clique. You have the nerd clique. You have the brainiacs. You have all those cliques in high school. We all remember that. One of the most beautiful things about the church, and I don't even know all the cliques now. There's probably like all these other variations of cliques I don't know anything about. But one of the beautiful things about the church is that we can be unified in the name of Jesus Christ. We can have our differences. We listen to different styles of music, whatever, whatever. There's, we, we talk differently, we look differently, but we come together as one body, members one of another under the name of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, that shows the world there is something different going on there. Those people love one another. And it doesn't matter what happens, they forgive and they love some more and they reach out to people who are lowly when the church does that, we are, we are doing what we are called to do and we are putting creating a platform to put out the gospel. It's one of the most beautiful things about the church when all those clicks come around together for Jesus. And I'm not saying you have to be best friends with everyone, but the challenge here is to associate, spend some time, do something for someone who isn't as fortunate as you. I love seeing this happen. When you have a crusty, bitter old man, he comes into the church, he experiences the love of God, God starts changing his life, changing his, his attitude, and this and this angry old person is now the person who's laughing and playing around with kids. Isn't that a beautiful thing to see in the church? Or, or when I was a youth pastor, you have like a shy, timid young man, you know, skinny as a rail, acne, no confidence, can't look anyone in the eye. He's got young men coming into his life that put their arm around his shoulder, encourage him, speak into him. And after a couple years, he's no longer a shy, timid young man anymore, right? He's actually a guy who can look people in the eye and he becomes a, a, a good-looking guy who a girl would want to spend the rest of their life with because he loves Jesus and he sacrifices for others. We're called as a church to invest and to associate and to build up the people who are in a lower place and watch Jesus transform them and turn them into someone who is going to reap the benefits, do the same thing, bear the same fruit, and reach out to the next person. I love seeing this happen. Remember that Christ came for you when you were spiritually lowly, and now he wants you to do the same. He wants you to reach out to the least of us. And I love this healthy side point. There's another side point here again in verse 18. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Thank you for saying that, Paul. (laughs) That relieves a lot of of guilt that people can have, right? Not every relationship is going to work out. If there's a broken relationship, the only thing you need to worry about is it broken on my end or is it broken on their ends? If possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all. There's some relationships like this in my life. I've done everything I can, as much as depends on me. My conscience is clear. I, 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 I have forgiven that person in my heart. I'm praying for them. I'm moving forward. And I'm just expecting at some point, if they know God, God's going to work in their heart, right? If they don't know God, I'm just praying that they find God. But you can be relieved. One day it's all going to work out, especially if they know God. It, It will. But you can't force every relationship to be peaceful. God's not demanding that of you. God is just asking that you love others, that you do your part. The last way that you can bless others with the love of Christ, number three, is to leave judgment in the hands of God. Look at verses 19 and through 21 again with me. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's not my job, because we're personalizing this sermon, right? It's not my job to judge others. Can you say that with me? It's not my job to judge others. This is one of the number one detriments to loving others genuinely. It's when we point fingers, we elevate ourselves, we look down on others. It really gets in the way of that whole loving others genuinely thing. But it's such a pesky problem to fall into. It's not our job to avenge. Some of you like the Avengers, but we're not an Avenger. You don't need to be an Avenger. And I would say that usually when there's something going wrong with a member of the church... You know, this is the number one fruit that gets a really bad rap. This is the one thing that's always on display. Oh, wow, everyone loves to identify the judgmental Christian, right? That that always has has a has a negative connotation, puts a bad taste in people's mouth. But you taking it upon yourself to correct everything wrong, coming down with judgment and condemnation on people. We know it's a problem. But this passage is revealing the heart behind it. Do you see this? We do this because of pride. If we aren't living in harmony, you can trace the root of it every single time back to pride. And I mean that. You trace it back. If there's disharmony, there's disunity, there's pointing of fingers, there's judgment. You know what else is involved? Pride is involved. How do we become haughty, as this passage is talking about? In our own sight, we are wise. We have figured it all out, and they don't. They don't have it all figured out. This is a problem because we still have the sin nature. Even after we know Jesus Christ, we still have that sin nature. And pride is always going to be something that you battle. We're always going to be working on that, this side of eternity. But something I've noticed over the years, and and I've seen this modeled and I've seen this exemplified in, in godly men and women, the closer you get to God, the more you see your own unworthiness, the more you see God's holiness, how he loves you anyway, there's this transaction that takes place, okay? The closer you see God for who he is, you also at the same time realize who you are. You see your own own sin. That is the only way that we can actually defeat pride in our own lives. It's by looking at God, seeing our own weakness, and actually seeing his mercy towards us. When we take that posture, we don't have knowledge alone that creates pride and puffs up We see God is at work in me. God has changed me. I blew it again. I messed up over here, and I I did it again over here. But God extended more mercy, and he gave more grace. He gave me another chance. And the closer we get to God, the less prideful we become, and the more we love him for who he is. The less prideful we become, the more humility we have, the less we're going to start pointing fingers at other people and judging other people. And I would say it, it it's really easy for people to just label the conservative Christian, right? The right-wing Christian. They're the judgmental person. They, they point fingers at everybody. Really, anybody does this. Anybody and everybody does this. You could have... The woke Christian, the, the woke but not awake Christian, right? The, the, the person who really is asleep on a lot of spiritual issues, they're just as guilty of this because they point their fingers at the other Christian and like, how dare you do that? That's ridiculous. They're judgmental. It, it goes both ways. You see that? We don't. Again, we don't need to look to others. We need to identify this in our own life. Is there pride in my heart? Is that the reason why I have, I have disunity and there's not harmony? And I need to look to the mercy of God that he's given me. The closer you get to God, the more humble you will be, become, and then you will leave the judgment in the hands of God. That's not my place. Chances are you've probably done something very similar. We all have. It's not our place. Just like punishment... It's not our place to punish people either, right? God punishes sin. God punished our sin on Jesus Christ. Jesus took our punishment on the hill called Calvary, on the mercy tree. Even when we, when we discipline our kids, are we supposed to punish our kids? We're, no, the Bible says discipline your kids. There's a difference between discipline and absolutely punishing someone. God does the punishing. He will judge sin. No one will get away with anything. Every wrong on this earth will be right one day. God is a God of justice. He's going to take care of that. He punishes sin. And those of us who know Jesus, our sin has already been punished. Jesus took the punishment. He took the wrath. We are not to punish, we're not to judge, we should discipline our kids, and we're not the final arbitrators of justice. God is the final arbitrator of justice. Now in verse 20, we we have a pretty unpleasant thought here. Paul's using a very graphic illustration for loving others instead of judging them. Look again at verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Wow. Talk about a graphic illustration. Every time you return good for evil, you are showing someone the love of Christ and you're giving them an opportunity to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you tracking with me here? Paul is using this graphic language to give us a very, very vivid vivid image. But I think this imagery is rooted in what Jesus Christ taught in the Gospels. Do you remember when Jesus was talking about the degrees of punishment in hell? Where he said, Woe to you, Bethsaida! Woe to you, Chorazin! It will be worse for you on the day of judgment than it would be for Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that passage? What is that talking about? Well, Jesus was teaching that these people in these cities where Jesus did his earthly ministry, Jesus performed miracles, Jesus came to them, they saw him face to face, they still rejected Jesus, they had more opportunity to accept Jesus Christ, right? Their judgment for eternity is going to be worse than it is for the person who barely had any exposure, who had a lot of things in this world that pushed them away. Their degree of punishment in hell is not going to be the same as the person who was told the truth over and over again, witnessed the truth, and still rejected it. And what Paul's saying here is the more love you show to your enemies, the more you show them the gospel, the more you're showing them the love of God. And you're literally just making that punishment in hell, if they do do at the end still reject God, it's going to be worse for them. This is no laughing matter. You see the seriousness of this. Please don't reject Jesus Christ. I beg of you, do not reject Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. God the Father sent Jesus into this world to save sinners like you and like me. If you confess your sin and repent and you turn to Jesus Christ and by faith you believe that Jesus shed his blood for your sin and you accept him and you turn from your old way of life and you turn to Jesus Christ, you have salvation. Everything we sung about this morning, you have freedom from the bondage of sin. We want that for you. That's what we are sharing with you. This is very vivid imagery, and we're not messing around here. This is not a joke. There is punishment for sin. In every day of our lives, when we love our enemies, when we bless those who curse us, we're actually doing our part to point that person to salvation. In Jesus Christ. And giving them a chance. And over time, that speaks to people. Worship team, you can come up right here. And as we close this morning, I want us to turn back to Luke 18, where we started. If you could just turn back to Luke 18. To bless others with the love of Christ, according to Romans 12, there's three things, right? Keep an eternal perspective in the midst of earthly chaos. Remember that Christ came for you when you were spiritually lowly. Leave judgment in the hands of God. Leave it in his place. Now, something that is underlining behind all of this becomes really clear when you look back at how Jesus wrapped up the parable in Luke 18. If you haven't already gotten it, we're really going to see it. Let me get there myself. Luke 18. Let's pick it back up in verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see it again there? Do you see the key? The key is humility. We have to fight pride by looking at what God did for us. Humility comes from you receiving the mercy of God. When you get that, you are ready to extend your gifts of grace to everyone you come into contact with. If you don't have humility, you are not going to outdo one another in showing love. Not going to happen. You're going to be too concerned with what's going on with you and what other people are doing with you and for you. The key that unlocks all of this is the love of God. When you receive that, you grow in humility. Pride is removed. And we don't get overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. Would you stand up? We're going to sing to God about this. God, show us how to love. Lord, may we look to you, the the love, the mercy, so we can extend grace, even to people who are unlovely, even to people who don't like us and are, and are wicked and, and they, are, they are wrong and they are, they are cruel towards us. Lord. By your spirit, will you fill us with this truth today so that we can extend mercy and reach out to those who are lovely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing for us.
0: the this, this is my worship. This is my offer.